Michelle. Hi, Wallace. It's Friday. Friday. New episode drops. <laughs> like that. I thought you were going to go into the Rebecca Black Friday Friday oh. song. That one better. Vintage. Vintage <laughs> viral content. Hey, you know what? Good music never goes out of style. <laughs> she would appreciate that. I wonder what she's up to now. She's big on TikTok, I think. That's cool. You know, good for her. Speaking of creative people who've made it big, we are introducing a new podcast episode every week, probably, unless we decide to change our minds. And it's going to be Framework Fridays. Framework, philosophies, operating systems. Mental models, paradigms. And why? Why are we doing this? Well, because, you know, at Holisticism, we're just trying to show you like different ways of doing things. Basically, that there's always a more creative way to get what you want. And I love studying frameworks and mental models because they provide me a new lens through which to see my problems and to see my world and to try and make sense of it. And they also help me see maybe the areas that I'm not aware of, like what we might call our blind spots and draw attention to them. And the point of sharing these frameworks that we're going to dive into every Friday is to shake up your perspective and maybe give you inspiration to do things differently or approach your problems from a different angle or perspective. Some might say, take a paradoxical move and uh, hopefully they'll inspire you. And also like, don't you think it's just so interesting to see how other people do shit? And to see how differently people think about the world, act in the world, work in the world. Sometimes we get so siloed in whatever industry or place in our lives that we're in. And we just need, you know, another view to expand our peripheral vision to be able to understand what's possible and help us problem solve. Because sometimes your nose is up against a wall and you're like, I don't see how I can move beyond this point. And often when I'm feeling that way personally, it's usually a philosophy or a paradigm shift that helps me kind of overcome some experience or at least make peace with it. Sometimes you're just in acceptance. Yeah. I also think that when you hear other people's way of thinking, way of doing things, their philosophy, their perspective, it helps you define yours more clearly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm talking to my brother-in-law, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I do not think of the world the same way that you think of it. Like you see it in a totally different way than me. And I love him for that. But it helps me realize like, oh yeah, not everyone thinks the same way that I think. Not everyone believes the same thing that's like sort of inherent to me or innate to me that I take maybe for granted. Like, oh yeah, of course, like rocks have feelings. And I think my <laughs> brother-in-law would be like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. And you can be like, oh yeah, I'm wicked smart. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's It can be reassuring, affirming, but also expansive to step outside of your normal ways of thinking. So hopefully this series will help provide that. Yeah. So it'll look different depending on, you know, the mood. We might go into a general framework or mental model and explain how they work, a philosophy, a creative person's morning routine or ritual, or we might do case studies. Any and all of the above. So... Welcome to the first episode of the Friday Framework Series. Today, we are talking about Miss Americana herself, Taylor Swift. T Swift. I'm very excited to hear about this because I feel like I'm not not a fan, but I'm definitely late to the Swifty uh, movement. 
Yeah. No, I, I listen, I think in the grand scheme of things, I also came late to the Swifty movement, probably because of like internalized misogyny, thinking that like, mm. you know, her country love songs were like doofy and I was too cool for them. And then she released 1989 and I felt every cell in my body turn over and all of a sudden I was a Swifty fan and I would die for this woman. Like I, <laughs> I love her. I think she's so smart and so weird. And I like that a lot. Wow. High praise. You would, you'd take a bullet. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would buy an expensive concert ticket to see Taylor Swift and that's oh, yeah. saying something for me. But one thing that I love about Taylor Swift is her dynamism as a creator is unmatched. She's a prolific songwriter and she's mm-hmm. won countless Grammys, but also had countless hits. And something that's so interesting about her is that you can see her skills develop in real time with every single mm. album that she puts out. And that's not for nothing because girlfriend works hard. Let's just like go over maybe Taylor's general routines and kind of like her perspectives. So Apparently, she's she's told Rolling Stone that she wakes up, likes to do a workout to keep her mind fresh, keep it spicy, keep it sexy, jogging, a little gym session. She thinks that exercise keeps her focused. And she has also been known to meditate. Now, I feel like that's something that we just say in general to people when they ask us what our morning routine is. But do we actually meditate? I don't know. What do you think? I'm curious also about the detail that you skipped over that she likes to spend time with her cats. I think that's really important. (laughs) And she shall not be overlooked. The two cats that are important to her and, you know, part of her lore. And you're right, you know, co-regulation with an animal is important. Yes. I mean, meditation is one of those things where sometimes people have a very extensive routine. Sometimes people sit and I listen to nature and that's good enough. So I feel like just the fact that she mentions it means she probably has some revolving door of that practice. Yeah. Or, you know, I feel like we can loosely define meditation. And for some, like you said, for some people, it's like a walk, right? Walking around the city or taking like going on your commute without listening to music or a podcast or having something in your ear. And that's like kind of always a moving target for me personally. I'm not like a sit down, meditate for 10 minutes every day type of person. What else do you think she does in her morning or evening routines that are like different than the average person? Is there anything that stands out to you? Well, one thing about Taylor Swift is that she's like a copious note taker. Like she's Mm. always taking notes and she keeps them in her notes app on her phone. She's also said that she writes them down in journals and she writes pretty regularly in order to process her feelings. And I think that's an important Mm. framework to her creative process is she's making things Yes, because she wants to win Grammys and she wants accolades, but a lot of her best songs are the songs that she's sort of working through something that's coming to her, right? Or something that she's experiencing. She has this quote where she says, I think when I write a song, it's like I'm taking a really complicated emotion or a really complicated experience or relationship and I'm filtering it through a funhouse in my brain and it comes out in the form of a song. And to me, that's like morning pages, right? Like morning pages Mm -hmm. is when I like dump all my anxieties and suddenly, you know, across the three or four pages that I've written, something else comes out of me. It's almost like I run out of the anxiety ink and I, I move into like creative ink in my pen. And that seems to be like a really important framework for Taylor Swift. 
Yeah. She also strikes me as somebody who's going to write down something interesting that somebody said or she overheard in conversation in her notes app and use that later as inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She says, I try to draw from what's happening in my life, what I'm going through, how I'm feeling, and I put that into my work. And that's the only way I really know how to be vulnerable with my fans. Mm, Everything is copy. Everything is coffee. It's true. It's true. (laughs) And Taylor Swift obviously is a creative genius. She writes songs in her head. That's what she's known for. And usually she creates the melody first and then she'll stick lyrics into that melody or the song that's coming that's coming to her. But for some of her most recent albums, Evermore and Folk lore. She had a really different process than how she typically sits down to write an album. It kind of came together, she says, is like this patchwork. And that process was like apparently amazing for her. It The albums just flowed out of her in a way that they never have before. And it sounds like she really released a lot of perfectionism and the fear or the anxiety of like something having to perform well and having to have it all make sense together. Because Taylor Swift is kind of known for these albums that feel like a cohesive story. And with Folklore and Evermore, that wasn't exactly the move. That wasn't the vibe necessarily. And kind of like letting the creation be the thing that is the through line, I think is really valuable. Like I often find myself being like, how does all of this make sense together? And then I remember like, well, it makes sense together because like it all comes from me. So I'm the through line. Like I don't need to like generate some meta narrative in order to make it all make sense or make all the parts of me make sense together. They make sense together because they're connected to me, you know? Does she talk about overcoming that in this creative process in terms of perfectionism? She's talked a lot about perfectionism and she has a documentary called Miss Americana where she alludes to disordered eating Mm -hmm. and the pressure that she put upon herself, you know, to win Grammys and to get lauded by the industry and to break records and how that sometimes she seems like a very like perfectionistic person. It seems like that sometimes overshadows her like creative juice and her ability to like bring herself to the table. Yeah. She said with folklore, it was the first time that I let go of that need to make a shiny, perfect commercial art object. And I think you really hear it Mm -hmm. in the music, which I think is some of her best. I know. I was going to say that was the album I tuned in on. I was like, hey, was this? Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of people really came to her in that moment. It's like Taylor Swift in her poetry era, you know? We love it. Yeah. And her extremely magnetic area too, Mm -hmm. growing her fan base unintentionally by letting it all kind of hang out in a different way. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Aura Ring. Okay. I have to admit when I first found out about the Aura Ring, I was skeptical because I don't know if I'm a quantifiable girly. You know what I mean? Like my fitness pal wasn't great for my mental health (laughs) in the early aughts, but I ended up buying an Aura Ring for my dad because... I'm kind of like constantly worried about his health. I want him to live forever. So I bought one for him for Christmas a few years ago and he influenced me to get my own. I just loved how inspired he was to take care of himself and how he would send me his results every day after he hit his step goal or uh, you know got the an optimal amount of sleep. I got my aura ring when I found out I was pregnant and it really really supported me in ways that I couldn't even imagine, honestly, throughout my pregnancy. And one of the things I love about it is that it's like a nicer health coach. (laughs) Like I thought that 
my aura ring was going to tell me that I was like being a lazy slob. In reality, it doesn't do that. It actually tells me when to take it slower and to maybe take a nap. And yeah, like maybe you can push yourself today or you know what? You pushed yourself pretty hard in your workout yesterday. Today's a good day to rest and chill and maybe meditate. I love the aura ring so much. And I was lucky enough to join a couple of my friends in Aura's latest feature. You can check out my mention on Aura Ring's blog. And if you want to learn more about the aura ring or get one for yourself, I highly recommend it. Go to AuraRing.com backslash holisticism. And between May 4th and May 14th, you'll get $50 off select styles. I have the gold, like totally circular band. There's a couple different band styles. I love it. It looks beautiful next to my wedding and engagement ring. And honestly, you wouldn't even know it's a fitness tracker. It's pretty chic. So if you're curious, now's a great time to invest in yourself and your health and grab yourself an aura ring. I think you're going to love it. You know, she's talked a lot about uh, she'll be walking down the street and a song line will pop into her head or she'll have an idea in the middle of the night and she'll write it down or she'll write down poetry in her notes app. Um, so she's kind of always like pulling things together. And then when she sits down to write a full album, you know, she'll typically like do a, a big long writing session. Folklore and Evermore were a little bit different. But she, in a conversation with Paul McCartney, said, a lot of songwriting is things that you learn, structure, it's cultivating the skill and knowing how to craft a song. But there are mystical, magical moments, inexplicable moments when an idea that is fully formed just pops into your head. And mm. I feel like Taylor Swift is all of us knowing that, yes, when I like sit down to my desk and I do my work and I'm like diligent about it and I practice and I'm disciplined, good stuff is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And there are these magical moments where I couldn't possibly plan to get this idea and I'm maybe getting it at the mm -hmm. most inopportune time and it just lands on me and I have to like run home and write this song or I need to like go find a corner at this club and like type this idea into my notes app because if I don't, it'll like fly away. And it really reminds me of the book, Big Magic. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that concept of muse, like landing on your shoulder and whispering in your ear and you have a limited amount of time. It's like the timer, the countdown begins that you have to mm -hmm. act on that thing. Otherwise it'll like go to somebody else. You have to dance with the muse. You have That's to right. pay the muse attention and nurture it. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. She doesn't strike me as somebody who lacks like a spiritual kind of practice whether it's super consistent or not. Not only does her art have that resonance, that like spiritual resonance beyond the kind of Christian stuff, I just feel like you can see that in a lot of what she does mm -hmm. or feel it, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And one final sort of framework that I want to add in here that Taylor talks about is that she really, it sounds like she she really doesn't believe in sunk costs. Like she's she's willing mm -hmm. to throw things that she thinks are amazing out if and cut them ruthlessly um, if they don't fit. She says, you know, when she works with her producer, Jack Antonov, sometimes she'll bring in a, an entire song that she's written and they'll just completely rework it and it'll become something totally, totally different than what she started with. And I think so many of us can take a cue from that because, you know, sunk the sunk cost fallacy is also a mental model or a framework that we can be conscientious of that when we've invested time or energy or care, attention into something, we often stay in it too long beyond the point of it being useful for us. Like maybe it's a relationship or a work project that you've been 
chipping away at, spending time on building websites for, et cetera. But when it's not working, you have to know when to cut your losses. Or maybe when it's working, but not in the way that you need it to work for you, you got to be able to, to let it go and move on to the next thing. And that, that can be really challenging. Yeah. I think that holds people back from moving on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes about pushing versus being in flow and in congruence with where the energy is going. It's almost like you're fighting something that needs to transmute and transform into something new. Totally. Whenever I'm in that moment, it feels like I'm trying to push like certain shape into a not it shaped box, yes. you know, like I'm trying to mm-hmm. fit it into something where it's not supposed to fit in. And I just have to like let it open up and be whatever it needs to be. Or maybe like I'm watering my garden and I'm trying to water these plants over here and they're not, just not growing. And I'm ignoring the fact that like this beautiful rose bush is growing behind me that just sort of sprouted out of nowhere. Or these wildflowers have come up and like they're thriving, they're growing, they want to be tended to. Why am I trying to grow something here when I have abundance all around me? It's like we're paying attention to the wrong things. When someone is caught in that place or Taylor specifically, what do you feel like is helpful about her life framework that you've noticed to move beyond that? Hmm. I will use a quote as an example. She says, I think the most important thing for me as a songwriter is to try and be as honest as possible. And Mm. I think that kind of is a good gut check for anyone, right? Is being honest with yourself about what's working and what's not working, being honest about perhaps what you feel is a failure and Mm. you need to forgive yourself for and move past. And by the way, like nothing that you end up giving up is a failure. It's just like a step to the next thing. One door opens the next, right? And it kind of sounds like that's Taylor's perspective, you know, with her art, just because she's written this beautiful song doesn't mean it needs to see the light of day because it might have helped her process something that she's gone through, which could lead to an even better song in the future. Who knows? That's beautifully put. How would you describe Taylor Swift's overall framework for creativity, songwriting, and what archetype do you think she's embodying right now? Well, help me out with this. I think she's definitely got perfectionist vibes. Yeah. And I don't want to say recovering perfectionist because I don't know if that's a thing, but maybe she's a little bit of a mystical perfectionist. She believes in the power of the universe and something beyond her, but she's also going to like make sure that she puts in the work to be successful and make things happen. Yeah, She's going to re-release an entire... discography. Yes. To make sure. We could maybe add a little bit of pettiness in there, you know, into her (laughs) archetype. Honestly, respect. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Yeah. She seems like someone who knows that they're not necessarily in the driver's seat all the time, but they can steer the wheel. Sounds like a good dose of acceptance. Maybe I'm projecting onto her. Maybe she's like, (laughs) not like that at all, but she's like, go time, baby. She's definitely a savvy person. Like she thinks, she thinks about a lot of stuff. She thinks things through. What do you think? I feel like a lot of what she says is really from someone with the experience of maybe being burned also. Yeah. I was going to say she seems at this point to have a lot of self-trust, not just in her skills Mm -hmm. as a performer and creator, but also like as a person in general. And I think when you like, she's pretty publicly humiliated (laughs) and brutalized, you know, over the last couple of years with the whole Kanye West snake thing and various other things. And when other people project their 
idea of you onto you, it really makes you question, who am I? Am I what everyone believes Mm -hmm. me to be or am I something else? And I think in order to survive, you have to know that like only you know the true real you. Only you can decide what's like the stuff that you're made of and believe in it. Otherwise, like you're going to get swept up in what everyone tells you you are. And that could be like catastrophic. An independent spirit. She definitely is. Absolutely. I can't. I'm so happy she's single now. I mean, you know, hope she's okay. But <laughs> can't wait to see her in this new era. How old is she? She's my age because we were born in 1989. So she's probably like 32, 33. Oh, wait, hey. 33, 34. It's a good time to be single. Your 30s are in your 20s, you know? Absolutely. So this is a little snack. Yeah. More to come. We're going to be covering all different types of frameworks, philosophies, personal operating systems. And it's going to be a wild, fun ride. And these episodes are short and sweet. So let us know what you thought. Let us know who you'd like us to cover as a case study or talk about a certain philosophy or framework. We are nerds who love to research this stuff. Amen. Or if there's someone who you're like, I'm dying to know what their creative ritual is. Get them on the podcast. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it for you. So we'll keep you well fed with inspiration, with frameworks, with mental models, with things for you to think about so that you can have, you know, create divergent strategies in your own life and solve some new problems. Yes. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you later. Next week. Internet. Bye. Bye. The 12th House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.